Hey there, Graybeardians. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Cybersecurity Graybeard, the podcast that helps students, early professionals, and retrainees learn, grow, and advance in the cybersecurity profession. Make sure to email questions, comments, and episode recommendations to cybergraybeard at gmail.com. In this episode, the last one of season four, I will discuss cyber attacks in the summer of 2022. I'll review who was attacked, its impact, and the aftermath. While I would love to go into the technical details about these attacks, that data is becoming harder and harder to find with each breach and each news release. Victims are tight-lipped and apparently being told more and more by government agencies and third-party vendors not to share technical details. We do know that both China and Russia have increased cyber attacks due to global tension in Taiwan and the Ukraine. I'm certain there have been many, many more attacks, and we're not hearing about them for internal security reasons, as well as not tipping our hand that we know what's happening or who we believe is doing the attacks. Remember, as I've said before, attribution for attacks is extremely difficult, and governments don't want to point their finger at an organization, an entity, or certainly another government without having all of the information. It's not possible for me in my research to find out exactly everything going on. There's just too much under the cover. However, my goal here is there's plenty of information to share. Before I get into the specific attacks, I do want to state that there's nothing in the past six-ish months that rise to the devastation of last year's solar winds or colonial pipeline attacks. I personally believe we've seen no massive attacks because those responsible are embroiled in something bigger. Russia with the Ukraine, and China with Taiwan. I did talk with a colleague of mine who hinted that major attacks are not happening because our defenses are stronger. While she may be right, I reject that hypothesis. She is an operational defender, and I'm a consultant, and it's important to realize that we're looking through a different lens, and I see a lot more organizations and vertical markets than she does. I will state that I see more attacks in volume, although they are more along the lines of stealing data for extortion or ransom. Cyber attacks, at least those in the news of late, seem to be around money, either direct request or selling pilfered information, and not the damage we saw last year with solar winds and the Colonial Pipeline, among others. You will see this in what I'm about to discuss. Trust, I did not steer the conversation in this direction. I am speaking about where the information that I found leads me. With all of that said, here are several cyber attacks that I want to discuss. The first one is Uber. This is the most recent and actually happened the night before I wrote this episode. It is the most recent and least invasive as we know it now. I'm monitoring it for two reasons. One, who was attacked, a major technology company, and how the attack occurred. Reports on this one do state that an 18-year-old used text to inundate an Uber employee. The messages said they were from corporate IT and needed the employee's username and password. It is a standard phishing attack. I've talked about it here before, know before who I've interviewed talks about this all the time. This is common sense and commonplace. And the foolish employee at Uber, a major technology company in the San Francisco area, still relented and provided the data. The hacker then accessed the internal Slack channel and posted screenshots of systems they invaded and bragged about their exploit. There's no indication of data theft. There's also no financial loss as of now. This appears to be simple vandalism for bragging rights, what is basically a script kitty. It's important to note that even the most advanced technology companies in the world are susceptible. I personally find it shocking and sad that any employee at a company of this caliber would fall for this deception, but there you go, it did happen. The second one, in July, a well-known ransomware gang known as Hive breached seven firms around the world. 
It included major names including Apetito, a frozen food manufacturer, and RTVCM, a Spanish television channel, as among their victims. In some cases, the attacks took down entire environments blocking access to IT-supported systems. The attack impacted servers, basically crippling the companies. Both Apetito and Wilshire Farms, another victim, were providing meals for schools, hospitals, and care homes, and they were unable to deliver the food to children and the elderly for a week because of these attacks. I couldn't find any mention of the attack method. However, I assume it was ransomware, and it was done through a phishing attack. As above with Uber, this type of attack shows that the human vector is still the weakest link in our cybersecurity defensive chain. Hive is known to attack with ransomware due to the explicit goal of extracting money from their victims. Because insurers now cover cyber attacks, criminals know they have a sugar daddy behind the scenes. There are bottomless pockets of money, and the attackers know it, and they are going to continue attacking because they now know there is funding for their actions. I believe ransomware attacks have increased and will continue increasing so long as there is an unlimited spigot of money to fund these criminals. Unlike the Uber attack, this wasn't a script kitty. Hive and other ransomware-as-a-service or RAS firms need to be taken seriously. These are professional gangs that are technology-savvy and have the ability to wreak havoc in organizations. The next one. In September, just as kids were going back to school, the Los Angeles Unified School District, the second largest district in the United States, which serves over 650,000 students, faced significant disruptions to email and applications. This attack compromised student information. It was a direct attack on children in America. There was no demand for money made, showing it does not appear to be a ransomware attack. The FBI informed the mayor and school district to, quote, not reveal how the breach happened. As a security expert, I find this disturbing. If we don't know how the attacks occur, how do we defend ourselves? How can other school districts protect themselves if they don't know the vector that was utilized to get the L.A. school district to be violated? The attackers work together, and so should defenders. True to standard practice at the school district, 70,000 employees and 540,000 students were forced to change their password. That's great. You're going to go ahead and close the door after the horse have left the barn. It's great. You have to do it, but come on. There needs to be prevention of these breaches, not, hey, change your password afterwards. A little bit more detail into this attack. Nearly 10 days after it occurred, Vice Society took credit. They are another RAS organization like Hive. The government states that it was ransomware, and Vice Society says they did it, but we still, 10 days later, do not have a ransom request. The superintendent of the school district states, quote, We did not know at that time what areas were targeted, what entity was targeting us. We were unaware how deep, how complex this incident is, this action was. So as a matter of protection, we basically shut down every one of our systems. In other words, the school district doesn't know hit them, doesn't know how bad they were hit, doesn't know what occurred, so they just turned off all their technology. This entire situation looks like it's being run by the Keystone Cops. And if you don't know what the Keystone Cops are, YouTube it and you'll get the reference. The response to this attack exemplifies what I keep saying about cybersecurity defenses. Too few people know what's going on, fewer care, and most involved are over their head and more concerned with covering their own ass than preventing attacks in the future. This LA Unified School District attack is abhorrent. It attacked children, it stole their personal information, and it could impact these children, these people, for the rest of their lives, and you hardly hear anything about it. Nobody's raising alarms. We need to find these attackers and do something about it or it will continue to happen.
Number four, North Korea using Maui. This is the only story that I found that I'm going to talk about with the state-sponsored APT, and it didn't mention any specific attacks. I do want to point it out because it is still important that even though China and Russia seem to be on the sideline for the major APT attacks, North Korea is still doing certain activities. The FBI, CISA, and the U.S. Treasury Department of all organizations put out a warning that North Korea was looking to use Maui ransomware against healthcare organizations. Duh, what a stupid waste of time and resources from the federal government. Anyone in the know knows that North Korea is broke and doing anything they can to get money. Take a look at the link in the episode notes where North Korea took credit for a $620 million crypto heist. I mentioned it earlier that Russia and China, two major sponsors of these attacks, are quiet. North Korea has no new geopolitical issues, and so standard operating procedure works for them, and that includes ransomware attacks. Healthcare organizations have some of the worst cyber defenses and house some of the most precious data, making them a doubly prime target. I'm willing to bet that the agencies put out the alert because they know of breaches, they won't acknowledge them, so they put out a generic news release instead. I'm mentioning this to show that the U.S. federal government does provide some information. There are kudos to be had for the FBI, Treasury, and CISA. However, it almost is never helpful or new data. It's rehashing the same thing. Hey, be on the lookout. It's kind of like saying, wear your seatbelt because car accidents happen. Of course they do. Of course you wear our seatbelt. How about you give us better and more information? If healthcare organizations and cyber defense firms didn't already know that North Korea was looking for healthcare places and they wanted the information, they should be put out of business. This is common sense. It is known. It is SOP for Korea to go after this protected health information and the personally identifiable information in hospitals. The next one, number five, while it's not an attack, I do want to mention it. It is the IRS publicly publishing the records of 120,000 taxpayers in unsecure public-facing web locations. This disclosure included names, addresses, and financial information. It's confidential information in the hands of the U.S. federal government, and they are so incompetent that they can't even protect data that isn't under attack. I mention this to point out that if the IRS is so incompetent with data that they publicly publish confidential information, how can we, number one, blame attackers for attacking, and number two, think that any government entity, schools, agencies, hospitals can protect themselves? We're on the precipice of catastrophe, and every story I see proves this out again and again. Lastly, financial services firms suffer attacks as well. Most of this episode has me railing against government in one form or another, and I want to make it abundantly clear that the private sector is susceptible as well. While I know governments are less competent in many areas, private sector firms are also at great risk. America protects our money more than anything. We literally have more protection at banks than we do at schools. We spend more resources protecting money than children, and yet both are at risk in the cyber world. I started discussing the LA Unified School District and how students had personally identifiable information taken, and I'm going to conclude with key banks suffering a breach as well. This was a PII attack impacting an untold number of mortgage holders. While it wasn't KeyBank itself breached, and I want to point that out, KeyBank is getting a bad rap for this, it was a third-party vendor called Overby Sewell Company, which is an insurance servicer that housed the information and they were the ones that were breached. 
KeyBank's customers were hurt because a third-party vendor didn't protect the data. Now, KeyBank has a responsibility to make sure their third-party vendors are secure, so they have some culpability here, but it was the network of Overby Seawell Company, not KeyBank, that was breached. Days after this breach, Key was sued in federal court, something not even mentioned in the LA Unified School District case. I read something new and fascinating here, and that's with the lawsuit. Firms and organizations now may need to shift from cyber defenses spending to funding lawsuits. This is extremely scary and dangerous. If a business starts to say, let's spend money on insurance and lawsuit mitigation and less on defense because we're going to get hit anyway and we need to worry about class action lawsuits, then we're going to cease to function as a technological society. Lawsuit and diatribe aside, I can't find any details on who attacked, how they entered, or what they did with the data or what they want. I looked at this one more than any of the others and I can't find anything. I'm angry that the FBI told the LA school district not to share data about their attack and I find this OSC key bank hack lack of information more disturbing. Why are we defending alone? Why don't organizations explain what happened, what they did wrong, and what they need to do to fix it? Additionally, why doesn't the federal government step up and defend their citizens? We have a cybersecurity problem globally, and until governments step up and do something, every organization will suffer attacks, and many, if not most, will suffer breaches. Cyber defenders are plugging a very leaky dam, and unless something changes, many individuals, companies, and government agencies are about to drown in the aftermath of their failures. Last year, I talked about Arctic Wolf in a cybersecurity confidence survey. It was a really good document, and unfortunately, I can't find it for 2022. I did find a document from ExtraHop and another one from PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, an analysis, and I have links to both of those in the episode notes. I really enjoyed the extra hop analysis, and it shows a cognitive dissonance by definition. Get this, 77% of IT decision makers are very or extremely confident in their cyber defenses, while 85% admit having suffered a major attack in the last five years, and 74% admitting multiple attacks. Additionally, 68% are still running SMB version 1. Server message block version one. Look that up to get detail on it. And they're confident. Why? You have more people that are confident and they were all attacked in the last five years. I really encourage every listener to check out my episode notes, not just for this episode, but for past episodes as well. I have links to sources and more importantly, resources. Don't reinvent the wheel. Use the data provided and expand your knowledge. To conclude this episode, this season, and potentially this podcast, I want to state that I started Cybersecurity Graybeard in 2019 so I could help students and early professionals with a focus on cybersecurity. As of this recording, I've published 52 episodes, most of them teaching about technology, business, and personal and professional growth. I hope I've provided valuable information on job hunting, getting the most out of your job, technologies around cybersecurity, presentation skills, and other ancillary topics to help all of you learn, grow, and advance. Now, after four seasons, I think I've provided all the tips and tricks I can think of. Over the years, I've sprinkled in presentations and interviews, both given and received, all with the goal of helping you. I'm now at a crossroads. Do I continue to shift towards interviews like I did this year with Mr. Backup, Perry Carpenter, and Andreas Warmenhoven? Or do I discontinue the podcast as I fulfilled my core mission? My instinct tells me to shut down and move on. I'm thankful for the feedback, and I'm hopeful that what I produced has helped you. 
If you disagree with me and you do want me to continue with a fifth season in 2023 based almost entirely on interviews and new or hot cybersecurity topics, please reach out at cybergraybeard at gmail.com. If we speak again, I look forward to that time. If not, thank you. This was a great ride and you all made it possible. Best wishes, good luck, and keep in touch with Cybersecurity Graybeard at cybergraybeard at gmail.com.